So, Jan, how was the swab? (laughs) Well, you know, I got the COVID test yesterday and all I kept thinking about was how much of a wimp you were for (laughs) saying that it hurt so much when you got the test because it actually didn't hurt at all. It was a tiny bit uncomfortable, but fine. Um, So I felt... Yeah, I was a bit scared going in because of you, and then I was kind of fine coming out the other side. I think I must have had some kind of extra sensitivity that day because it of really course, stung. sure. Okay, so you're, sure. at, you're at home waiting for your results. I am. I'm doing the responsible thing, wearing pyjama pants. It's all good. <laughs> we appreciate you following the right protocols. You are listening to The Briefing. It is Thursday, August the 20th. Jan, we're going to talk about Kamala Harris in a moment. She herself has said that she believes that Trump is scared of her and that he has reason to be scared of her. Could the vice presidential nominee be the key to defeating Donald Trump? We'll brief you on Kamala Harris in just a moment. First, let's get the big news of the day. We're starting with some confusion about vaccines. So yesterday, we briefed you on something called vaccine hesitancy. So that's people who aren't necessarily anti-vaxxers, but they're worried about vaccines and they might not get them right away. Well, in the last 24 hours, the PM has likely added to the concerns of the vaccine hesitant amongst us with some inconsistency about whether the COVID jab would be mandatory. First, Scott Morrison said this during an interview with Macquarie Media. We've got to get about 95%. I would expect to be as, as mandatory as you can possibly make it. There are always exemptions um, for any vaccine uh, on medical grounds, but that should be the only basis. Yeah, and those comments really caught people's attention yesterday. I saw one media outlet putting out the headline that the COVID vaccine would be mandatory. So they kind of exaggerated his comments there. So then just a few hours later, uh, the Prime Minister walked back from that comment in another interview. It's not going to be completely to have the vaccine. There are no mechanisms for compulsory. I mean, we can't hold someone down and make them take it. That doesn't happen anywhere in Australia today under any of those systems. Um, And and that's not what people are proposing. Those words, I think, Jan, might not have eased people's concerns that much. Even to bring up that image of holding someone down, I think it was careless language. Yeah, I think we've got to be very clear here about the vaccines, because there's going to be a lot of questions around when we get it, how we get it, who will get it, should it be mandatory? And as we know, Tom, there are people in the community who are a little bit concerned. And I think the Prime Minister needs to be allaying those fears and perhaps not adding to them, even if it's inadvertent. Yeah, the the Deputy Chief Medical Officer Nick Coates suspects we could end up with another no jab, no pay scheme where people who refuse to get immunised can't access government benefits. He revealed other measures like that that could be brought in by the government. Specific things like not being able to um, go into restaurants, not being able to travel internationally, not being able to catch public transport. These are clearly policy decisions that need to, will be discussed, but there's no um, current mechanism to enforce that sort of thing. Yeah, in terms of where we're at at the moment, we know that we've secured the rights to a vaccine being produced by Oxford University. Uh, We've signed what's called a letter of intent with the pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca to produce the vaccine locally. This is if the vaccine is successful. So it's still undergoing trials at the moment. And a Sydney security guard who caught COVID-19 while working in hotel quarantine did nothing wrong. That's the message from the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian. Can I please stress that um, without divulging too much information that there's no evidence to suggest this person did the wrong thing at all. They did the right thing at all stages. But we have to accept that there are jobs now in the community that are higher risk. 
Health officials are still trying to figure out how this particular security guard managed to get the same unique strain of the virus as travellers at the Marriott Hotel who had come back from the US. Now, the Premier says it could be as simple as him touching a surface. Yeah, and this story has got people on edge in Sydney because this security guard, after contracting the virus, went on to work at the Flemington Food Market uh, and then also Parramatta Local Court, which is pretty concerning. Yeah, I think New South Wales obviously is keeping a very close eye on quarantine uh, given the situation in Victoria. We know that 99% of the cases in Victoria can be traced back to um, bungled quarantine in the state and allegations of inappropriate behaviour between security guards and those quarantining. Um, So I think New South Wales definitely wants to get this right. And it's been pretty impressive how right they've got it so far. There've been 2,000 private security guards who've worked on that effort, plus 2,500 police guards, and this is the first guard to get COVID-19 from hotel quarantine. So they're doing it well and they need to keep doing it well. Well, we knew it was going to happen, but now it is official. Joe Biden has been endorsed as the Democratic candidate to face Donald Trump in November's US presidential election. I'm pleased to announce that Vice President Joe Biden has officially been nominated. Well, thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. Oh, can we have a bit more cool in the gang? Good tune. <laughs> I did wonder about the music choice there. I think I'm pro cool in the gang in this scenario. Yeah, celebrate good times. Um, as you can hear, that was a virtual conference. Um, if he wins, Joe Biden's vice president will be Senator Kamala Harris. And she's a very interesting candidate. We're going to brief you on who she is in just a moment. Now, our former PM, Julia Gillard, has weighed in on the sexism that Kamala Harris is already facing in the campaign. One of the first things that President Trump has said about Kamala Harris is he's used the word nasty. So I think he's already conjuring uh, with these sexist tropes that women who come forward, who are ambitious and rightly ambitious, who have got the capacity to lead, who have done in the past strong things, are unlikable. Yeah, so Julie Gillard's unpacking some of the layers of gendered meanings in some of the words you might hear flying around in this contest. And often people who are on the receiving end or even people using those kind of taunts don't realise that they're actually relying on those gender tropes that Gillard was talking about. Yeah, and I think Gillard is probably in one of the best positions to know what it's like to face that kind of gendered language as a leader. Um, She's been very vocal, actually, about gender equality um, since leaving uh, Parliament here in Australia. And, of course, she's also known around the world for the viral uh, speech on misogyny that she did in the House of Representatives in 2012 um, yeah. against Tony Abbott. Kamala Harris seems pretty um, tough, though, a pretty good contender to take on Donald Trump. We'll hear more about that in a moment. Disgusting is how police have described a Western Sydney man allegedly behind a nationwide online scam selling puppies that never existed. The male would get on Gumtree or another site, advertise a sale of pups, which were about seven weeks old to nine weeks old. He would then use photographs, get people interested. The victims would then be asked for a deposit, which they would give. Deposit usually was anywhere from $1,000 to $2,000. That was Detective Inspector Jason Piotruska. Now, Vinnie Ward was one of the victims of this scam, and he says it's a really horrible feeling. Because you get your hopes up, you're talking about it with your family, your friends, you're showing the pictures of the puppy that you're going to get. 
get. So I think it's the fact that you get your hopes up and then you find out that you've been scammed. Oh, pretty heartbreaking story. Can I just go back to the fact that Detective Inspector Jason Piotruska is a pet detective, basically Australia's Ace Ventura? <laughs> I didn't think we had those. I don't know if he's officially got that on his business card, but it would be such a bummer to get caught up in one of these, particularly during a time like this when I think pets alleviate quite a lot of stress. And, you know, we're spending more time online and people are thinking, I've got time at home, maybe I should get a pet. And you invest so much and you give the money over and then in the end you get scammed. I feel bad for those people. Yeah, you have to be really careful when you're buying a pet online. Jam, we'll catch you on tomorrow's podcast. In just a moment, Jamila Rizvi's jumping in as we talk Carmela Harris. Whether you love or hate Donald Trump, you'll need to know about the new player on the block, the woman that could take him down in November's election. And the people are who Joe and I will fight for every day. That's Kamala Harris, and last week she was announced as the Democrats' vice presidential candidate who will stand side-by-side with Joe Biden, the Democrats' presidential candidate, to try and defeat Donald Trump. Kamala is smart. She's tough. She's experienced. She's a proven fighter for the backbone of this country. Kamala Harris will be critical to taking on Trump for the Democrats. So let's find out who she is and whether she will make or break Donald Trump. Yeah, Jamila, what can you tell us about Kamala Harris? What makes her interesting? Well, she's the first black woman and the first person of Indian descent to be nominated by a major party in the United States. And for a country that's built on immigration, that's really significant. She's the daughter of an Indian-born breast cancer researcher and a Jamaican-born black American professor of economics. Her story is America's story. Different from mine in many particulars, but also not so different in the essentials. She's worked hard. And this morning, all across the nation, little girls woke up, especially little black and brown girls, who so often feel overlooked and undervalued in their communities. But today, today, just maybe, they're seeing themselves for the first time in a new way. As a kid, Kamala Harris learned about discrimination firsthand. She was bused to her public primary school in a rich Berkeley neighbourhood as part of the infamous desegregation program. And she learned how to be tough, Tom. Yeah, and she went on to be a San Francisco district attorney uh, for almost a decade and then became the Attorney General of California. She then became a senator and she got a reputation for devastating interrogations of Trump administration officials and nominees, uh, including Supreme Court Judge Brett Kavanaugh. Are you saying that with all that you remember, you have an impeccable memory? You've been speaking for almost eight hours, I think more, with this committee about all sorts of things you remember. How can you not remember whether or not you had a conversation about Robert Mueller or his investigation with anyone at that law firm? So the question that political pundits are asking is whether or not this tenacious senator is going to be the difference for the Democrats. Is she the key to defeating Donald Trump? Yeah, let's find out more about her with American journalist Maya King, who writes for the agenda-setting Politico website. Maya, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. Tell us a bit about what this appointment means to you personally. Do you feel a personal connection to Kamala Harris? Well, I, I do. And it's it's funny because so um, I have a number of connections to Senator Harris in, that we're, in terms of our identity. So we're both black women. 
uh, Kamala Harris graduated from Howard University and I graduated from Howard University. So it's a, it's a moment of, of immense pride for the black community and for the historically black college and university or HBCU community. I have a similar feeling that I had in 2008 with the election of Barack Obama in that this representation um, means more than just a, a, a person who looks like me in the, and potentially in the White House, but also, and this is what I've heard from folks that I've talked to um, in my reporting on her selection, is that this feels like Black Americans have a extended audience in the White House. Kamala Harris, as a senator, has pushed for a number of policies that would affect uh, Black communities in the United States, specifically Black women. And so with her um, potentially, you know, going to the White House, it's it's refreshing to know that there is an advocate, um, you know, at, at one of the highest levels. So this appointment brings her a step closer to the fray with Donald Trump. Uh, we're already seeing um, a war of words. How do you think she's going to go in the battle against Trump? Well, we know that Harris is a serious debater, and that's something that everyone uh, said as soon as she was um, named to the ticket. And she herself has said that she believes that Trump is scared of her and that he has reason <laughs> to be scared of her. Um, and I think I think she's right, because we have a president who has pushed for a number of very racist policies, who has espoused racist language and who is also very vehemently anti-immigrant. Kamala Harris is a black woman. She's also an Asian American woman, and she's the daughter of two immigrants. I mean, her bio itself lends itself to any number of, of attacks that would be totally founded against President Trump. And I think people are really interested in, in seeing um, her debate Vice President Pence later on this year. I mean, that's the main debate that will that will be able to see her showcase her her public speaking skills. And we know that Pence is a rather soft spoken man um, who has really not ever raised his voice in a public forum. So it'll give uh, Senator Harris plenty of opportunity to not only go after the president, but everyone who associates with him. Grab the popcorn. We've talked a lot about uh, race, but what about age? We know both presidential candidates are much older men, which means surely a lot of voters are going to be looking to Harris as a future occupant of the Oval Office, right? Senator Harris, I believe, is 55, which in American politics is like adolescence. So <laughs> she really has an opportunity here. And I think will be seen as um, a front runner in 2024 um, to take the White House. And I think the 2024 talk is a little bit overblown because there is just so much riding on a successful election um, in November. But, you know, if the polling holds up and we do have a we do usher in a Biden presidency um, in January of 2021, I do think that Senator Harris would be really well positioned uh, to be successful front runner in 2024 for president. Maya, you wrote a piece in April that said that Kamala Harris, in her race to become the Democratic presidential nominee, uh, didn't actually appeal to black voters that well. So do you actually think, even though you identify with her, that she really is the right choice? Well, you know, it's difficult. Um, and it's, it's a good question to ask because the reason, uh, the, the number of reasons why she didn't connect with black voters, but chief among them was her prosecutorial record. So as um, California's attorney general and as San Francisco's 
district attorney, she pushed for a lot of policies that contributed heavily to the mass incarceration problem that California has and that the United States as a whole has. And most of the folks in the carceral system here in the States are African-American. And so people looked at her and didn't really like her answers to the questions about how she would be reckoning with that record um, because a lot of the things she was saying were, look, black communities want to be safe, just like white communities. And yes, I was a part of the system, but I also tried to change it. And so I mean, it just wasn't quite enough, I think, for a lot of people, particularly young black voters um, who are really fast growing block. Bit of a worry, though, if she's not necessarily appealing to black voters. And uh, we know in 2016, Trump won the election in those middle America states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Um, is she really going to appeal there either? Well, you know, it's tricky. The thing is, the appeal of the Biden campaign as a whole, and I think this is something that I've said and what my colleagues have said, is that Biden wins by not losing. And what I mean by that is, under normal circumstances, that's super valid, and it is still. However, Trump is performing so poorly in those states right now, in Michigan, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, because of how poorly he's handled the coronavirus, it's made it really difficult for him to break ground. So with that in mind, I think it almost cancels out a lot of the concerns that folks might have about Harris's record, mainly because everyone is so focused on getting some good leadership in the White House that will actually take control of the coronavirus and get us back to some sense of normalcy. And after that, the battle comes with her to to really start reckoning with these policy issues and trying to figure out how she can do better. So can we ask you to make a prediction? Are Biden <laughs> and Harris going to be victorious in a few months? I mean, it really seems that way, to be honest. I, I, I don't want to, you know, jinx the election. I know for everyone in the in the United States right now is so nervous because four years ago we were in the same spot and we said that Hillary Clinton would absolutely have the election in the bag. There was no way that Trump was going to win it. The odds were totally not in his favor. Um, and then, of course, we saw what happened. But it's it, this feels different just because I think a number of the voters who were supportive of Donald Trump now have turned and see you know, how much of a steady hand Joe Biden really could offer. So, I mean, yeah, if the election were next week, we would be talking about the future under a Biden-Harris administration for sure. And I think barring any serious levels of voter suppression or, um, you know, major disasters on, on getting the election off the ground safely, they have a really clear shot at winning this by a wide margin. That was Maya King from Politico speaking to us from the US. Jamila, what do you make of Kamala Harris's appointment? I'm really excited about Kamala Harris's candidacy. I would have loved to see her have the top uh, spot on the ticket um, for the Democrats this November. I'm someone, Tom, who I've worked in politics since I was a kid. I've always been interested and obsessed with politics. And, hey, I'm one of the little brown girls too. And it's exciting to see a woman of Indian and Jamaican descent taking such a critical role at such a critical time. I, I'm really keen to see what happens over the next few months. So clearly she appeals to your sense of a, of a fairer world for, um, I guess, parts of our societies that have been marginalised. But do you think she can actually win? 
Yeah, I'm not as sure as Maya is, if I'm going to be honest with you, Tom. I am really excited, and the polls certainly seem to think that Biden-Harris is a winning combination, but the polls have been wrong before, and so has most of the world. (laughs) All right, thanks, Jamila. Tomorrow on The Briefing, how young people are spreading COVID-19. We'll speak to you then. A podcast one production.